Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Uh, I wonder if any of you have ever felt like you were in exile before. I think uh, the word exile is something that we sometimes, we use the definition a little bit loosely. Um, A lot of times we just think it's like, you know, just I'm not a part of a group or something, and so you feel exiled. And I remember back in the day, Crystal and me, we used to watch uh, the show Survivor together. And I think one of the years there was, it was called Survivor Exile Island. And they did this crazy thing where they took one person on the show and they literally, like, for a whole day, would just throw them on an island by themselves. And the island was full of, like, a bajillion snakes. And I'm telling you, I was like, if that was me, mm-mm. Just, I, a white flag, I'm done. No. I might, even ha- I might even swim off the island if I had to swim a thousand miles. And I hate swimming. I cannot stand snakes. This week, we were watching uh, a Bear Grylls, Grylls show. And he's going through some awful, horrible place in Costa Rican wilderness uh, and it was like right on this river, super sketchy situation, because uh, you could die in a lot of these situations. And he's, he's going down the river with this celebrity, and all of a sudden he looks off on the shore, and he's like, ooh, look at that snake. And he, he's so dumb, he's like, I'm going to go and touch it. Why? It's a snake. And my wife was looking at me, she's like, if you were that celebrity right now, what would you be doing? I'm like, well, I'm rich, so I ain't going there, period, okay? I'm a celebrity. Um, but I, no, I'm like, and there's no way that I, I literally, I wouldn't come home, honey, because I would just fall in the river and choose to die there over choosing to die from the snake. I hate snakes. And so in exile islands with a bunch of snakes, not going to do it. Um, you probably felt exiled before in your life. Maybe you, as, a, as a kid, you felt exiled from a group of friends that you thought were your friends and all of a sudden they weren't. Or you felt it uh, from your families when you moved away to college or the first time that you moved states away uh, to, to do your first real job. Maybe you felt exiled in your job. Some of you are in a job and you're like, I hate it. I hate my job. It's not something you never felt like you would do as you were growing up. And now you're like, it just it almost feels like exile having to go there. Uh, but the definition of the word exile is a little different than that. It actually means for somebody to be barred from their own country. Not being able to go to your homeland. I would... I would doubt, there's probably a good chance that there's nobody in this room who has been exiled from their homeland ever before. Now, we do have a family, a pastor and a family from our church. Uh, they, they're on staff at our Beloit campus, Pastor Walter and his family. They are exiles right now from their homeland of Haiti. And I'm going to be honest with you, it doesn't look like they're going to be able to go home anytime soon. It is a bad situation. Uh, just not a great situation for a, a family that's trying to... to to preach the gospel to go to right now. Um, and I think about that, and I'm like, man, that, I can't imagine how hard that would be, to be exiled from the place that you call home. The closest thing I've ever come to really feeling exiled is having to be a Minnesota sports fan in Wisconsin. I feel like you are not all my people, except for a couple Vikings jerseys. I, I see two Vikings jerseys. People in this room know who, how to get my heart. I know that. Um, but yeah, it, it, we don't, all really know what the feeling of being in exile actually is. And I wonder, though, if we're not all, in a sense, spiritual exiles. John 17, Jesus started praying this prayer for his disciples. Um, This is shortly before the time that he actually gets arrested, he gets betrayed, and he goes through uh, this public execution. 
In John 17, he's praying. He says, Lord, I will remain in the world no longer, but they, my disciples, are still in the world. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Doesn't it sound like Jesus right there is essentially saying, my followers are spiritual exiles. They don't really have a home. This, yes, they're in this world, but this is not our ultimate destiny. This is not the place that we actually call our home. And so let's be honest about it. Things are not always easy for exiles. Life is hard on exiles. Now, this is not a pity party day, all right? Just because we're a bunch of followers of Jesus doesn't mean like, oh, yeah, life is hard. I'm in exile. Pastor said I can be mad all week. No, not what I'm saying. If, if we really are spiritual exiles, though, what are, what, are, what are we supposed to think about all these statements in the Bible that tell us we have promise? We have, we have this hope. We have a future. In fact, you probably even know the verse that we're going to. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Doesn't that verse just sound lovely? Doesn't it just warm your heart when you read it? And some of you, you read it and you're like, that doesn't sound anything like my life. There's nothing, nothing about my life that sounds like there's a plan, that I'm prospering, that I'm not going to be harmed. And so as, as we're going through this straight out of context series, we're in the second week, this is what we're doing. We're looking at, we're looking at verses that, yes, they, they do mean what it's said, but maybe we don't see it in complete wholeness all the time. You know, this is one of those passages that uh, when, when things are going really, really bad, let's be honest, if I asked you to raise your hand if you've got uh, uh, something framed with this passage up on your, on your wall at your house, a lot of you would be like, yeah, I went to Hobby Lobby and I got it. It's up on my wall. That and the Joshua one, right? Uh, or it's, it's also, it's one of those ones that we, we give it to college graduates or high school graduates all the time because we know that every college, high school graduate going to college, they don't, they don't know what they're doing. Half of them, they, they go through six majors. My wife, she did like five or six majors. It was awesome. They don't know what their plan is, so we're like, no, there's a plan. Believe me, there's a plan. Or we, we give this verse to people who, friends of ours who have gone through awful stuff. Now, can you imagine, maybe you can't imagine because you've been in that place before, but you've gone through something really harmful, really tragic. How does it feel to, to be given this verse in just this context. Oh, God is saying there's a plan. I'm not going to be harmed. Yet I have just received this incredible harm to my life. What are we supposed to think with this verse? And so uh, there's questions that come up. There, there's some difficult questions that Je Jeremiah 29, 11 brings. Is there really a promise for us that life will get better as it sounds like that's what this verse is saying? What are these plans that God has for us? When is the prospering supposed to start and the harm supposed to end? That's what it seems like this verse is saying. I think these are real questions that we have to, we have to be honest about and we have to get to the place where we can answer them a little bit. And so we're going to look at Jeremiah 29, 11, but we're not going to just look at that. I want to look at verses around it. So we're going to read it again, but we're going to read starting from verse 4. We're going to go through verse 14. So I want you to follow along as I, as I read it. 
This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Let me just stop there. He's talking to the Israelites who have been carried from their city of Jerusalem into a foreign city of Babylon. They're exiles. And he says to them, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. All right, so disclaimer here. When we say straight out of context, this does not mean that that the thing that we read in Jeremiah 29, 11 isn't true. When we say it's out of context, maybe taken out of context, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for you. God doesn't mean good things for you, and he doesn't mean he wants to harm you. We're just saying we got to look at the whole thing here. Specifically, what about this part about not being harmed? Because I'm telling you, if I were to ask every single person in this room right now, is there some part of your life where you feel harmed? You're probably going to say yes. So really what we're focusing on in this straight out of context is what is the broader context? What does this passage say from kind of a higher elevation, looking at it from a different view? How am I supposed to read this in the context of my own life? So the objective here is to really understand who is it that, uh, that this passage is being spoken to? What are the circumstances? What is, what is going on in that culture? And so... At this point in history, uh, Jerusalem has, they've been, they've been naughty for a long time. They've been like that little kid that the parent keeps scolding and being like, you've got to stop what you're doing. You've got to stop what you're doing. You know, the, the kid who's like putting his finger up at his, at his sibling's face and being like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. And you're just like, uh, they're going to touch you pretty soon. You better stop it. That's what Israel's been doing. They've just been naughty. And God has been giving them warning after warning. And finally, Babylon takes them out. They go to battle with Babylon and Babylon defeats them. And here's the, here's the problem. Back in this time, what would happen is when one city would defeat another city, it's not like it is in 2023 maybe, you, they would just transfer the whole defeated city over to the city that won. So these people, these Israelites, they are leaving everything that they know. They're forced to leave their homes, forced to leave their city, Forced to leave everything that they're familiar with. They're forced into exile. And the worst part about it is you know that they hate Babylon. They were, it's, it's a city that they were just fighting with. So this is not a good situation. You can look at your, your week right now and, and all of the, the moaning you were doing about it. Chill out. It's not as bad as what Israel had right here. 
Jeremiah, I think also, unfortunately, he was not the only prophet that was trying to speak things into uh, the hearts and minds of these Israelites. This passage talks about how there were, there were prophets who were speaking to the Israelites, but they were saying lies. And I imagine some of the lies that they were probably saying was, oh, Israel, you're going you're gonna to be fine. You're gonna, it's not going to be long at all, and God's going to take you back where you're, you're meant to be. Just give it, give it a couple years maybe. Like, who knows what the lies were, but, but the Israelites, they were believing these lies. And so God kind of taps Jeremiah on the shoulder, and he's like, hey, I, I really want you to go and tell the Israelites some things. And so that's why he prophesies. In fact, he was, he was pretty upset about these, all these prophets that were telling the Israelites wrong stuff. Verse 31, a little further in Jeremiah 29, he said, Shemaiah has prophesied to you even though I did not send him and has persuaded you to trust lies. Does, God wants the lies to stop. And so, Jeremiah... We have to keep in mind who it is now that he's talking to. He is talking to a group of people who is obviously hurting, who's obviously struggling. And in verses 4 through 6, we see an overriding message, and it's really simple. God wants to say to these people, keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Now, you and I look at that, and we're like, okay, this is a hurting group of people. They're not in their homeland. God, don't you have something better than keep doing what you're doing? In fact, he said, build homes. Wait, God, we want to get out of here. Why are you telling us to build homes? And then he says, go and, go and make babies. Build up your families. What? What are you telling us this for, God? We want to leave. We want to get out of here. Just let us go. No. You're going to stay here and you're going to build yourselves up. You're going to increase and not decrease. He's telling them to be productive. He's not, he's not telling them to go and do the same thing, all the whining that maybe they're doing. He's saying, all the good stuff that you're doing, keep doing it. Don't stop. The good that you do have, increase it. See, our problem when we feel exiled in our world is we start to think that everything is negative. Everything is bad. I, I'll be honest, I had one of those weeks. I felt bad for myself a couple days this week. I cried in my wife's arms. <laughs> You know, just sometimes you got to let out a good cry once in a while, right? Um, no, it's, sometimes we just have those weeks where it's just like, man, I, I feel overstressed. I feel overworked. I feel frustrated with the things that are going on around me. But what he's saying here, you're going to have those times. You're going to have those times, but in those times, what are you going to do? Are you going to decrease or are you going to choose to increase? What does it look like? It looks like in the, in the dark times to keep learning and to keep growing even when it's the last thing that you want to do. It means to keep desiring to be filled, your heart to be filled with grace rather than with bitterness. It means to keep instilling values, the values of Jesus into your family and into the people that you love rather than the values that the world wants to tell you. Uh, he's saying increase, don't decrease. If you are faithfully serving Jesus and things are not working out, God is actually telling us to keep doing the same things. Not to decrease, but to increase. It's funny how people talk about, and you get young couples or you get people who aren't married, and, and you hear this comment, how in, the, how in the world could I ever bring somebody into this world? How could I ever want to have a kid and bring them into this world? Well, 
If you've said that, you probably haven't experienced the joy of watching a, a baby come into the world. There's something amazing about it. But here's the other thing. If Jeremiah had not told the Israelites, keep, keep having babies, keep bringing, in their, in their time of frustration, if they were just waiting until they actually got back to the land of Israel and to Jerusalem before they had children, guess what would have happened? The Israelites would have been wiped out. If we as Christians don't want to bring people into the world, guess what's going to happen? The world's just going to become a darker place. And so when we are living in darkness, why do we just, why do we just sit back and let ourselves decrease rather than increase? It's because we as believers are not increasing that the world gets darker. But if we continue to increase, and I'm not just talking about bringing babies into the world. Everybody's like, man, he wants to have like 12 kids. No, I'm not saying it. But I'm saying we as people, if we are increasing, the world becomes a better place rather than what we are seeing it become. So I think what Jeremiah is wanting to tell the exiles is remember that life is still pretty special even when you're living in Babylon. That's part of the message, I think, for us in this passage. You might be living in a Babylon. You might feel like you've been there for 70 years. But life is still really special. Life is still really awesome. And it's meant to be increasing, not decreasing. Verses 5 through 7 actually speaks something really good for me. Um, it tells me that I could lie down in misery and I could give up. But the only thing that's going to happen is I'm going to have more misery if I do that. Everybody has their 70 years. This 70-year time where the Israelites were, were waiting to get back to Jerusalem. And it's frustrating, it's hard, it feels like the place that you're not supposed to be at Every single one of us have been in those 70 years. Here's the real question when it comes to that. What if the Israelites had given up in year 69? What if they threw in the towel at that point? What if, what if instead of choosing to increase in the moments of your difficulty, you've sat back and been like, it's okay, eh, nothing's going good, I'm just going to sit back. You're going to decrease, and maybe you were at like year 69 and 70 was coming. We are promised good, but it might not be the good that we think is coming in the time that we think it's coming. It might be at a longer succession of difficult than we were expecting. Jeremiah 29, 11 is trying to tell us, don't lose sight of the hope that's out there. And, and then verse 7 comes along. Verse 7 comes and takes it a, the extra mile. Previous to verse 7, uh, Jeremiah is pretty much trying to tell the Israelites, this land that you've, you've come to, it's not as bad as you think. Build yourselves up, build homes, build families. But then he goes and he does verse 7, and he says, even the people that are your captors are not as bad as you think they are. Verse 7, he says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Jeremiah is telling these Israelite exiles to pray for the very people that captured them. The very people that they can't stand. The very people that they want to be as far away from as possible. This is an absolutely unprecedented concept for this day in history. For this culture, this is an unprecedented concept to actually think about praying for the people who are their captors. This would not even have gone through the, the minds of any Israelite person, just like it probably doesn't go through your mind and my mind. When we're in a difficult place and there's people in our lives who we feel like they're creating this exile for us, our thought isn't to pray for them. Our thought isn't to bless them. 
But that's exactly what Jeremiah is saying to do because when you do it, he says they're going to prosper and you too are going to prosper. If you're not prospering, maybe there's another reason why you're not prospering. God's plans go beyond comprehension for us. When everything seems dark, there still is a good plan for people who follow Jesus. Even if the only hope that you can find is in Jesus. Here's the thing. You're going to look around your life at times and, and you're not going to find anything physically that is going to feel like it's blessed. But all we have to do is actually look to Jesus. What Jesus did for us. There is hope. There is something good out there. Now neither for the Israelite exiles nor for us is there any specific prosperity promised in the physical world in any given moment. Now yeah, God does say, hey, Israelite family, 70 years from now, you're going to get to go back to Jerusalem. There was no immediate promise of anything physical. Just like in your life, you might be going, man, God, when are you going to do some of these things for me that I need you to do? There's, there probably isn't going to be an immediate physical promise for things getting better for you. We're, it, might be, it might be a long time from now. It might be two days from now. Who knows? But what that means is sometimes we all have to live in the waiting. Every single one of us, we have to live in the waiting. Waiting for things is hard. I remember when I was in fifth grade. Seventh grade was the year that we got to play basketball for the school basketball team. And I'm telling you, I was fifth grade already, and I'm like, I can't wait for this. I need to, I need to represent my school and be awesome. And I just wanted to play basketball for my school team. And I'm playing in this little kids league, and I was the littlest one of all of them. And I just, I just want to play. And I couldn't wait. But you know what I did? In the waiting, still had to increase. If I, cho- if, I chose not to, if I chose to wait and just endure and not increase my basketball skills, I wouldn't have been any good come seventh grade. I, I remember having to wait to get married to my wife. I was 16 when I started dating her. Three months in, I was like, I'm marrying this girl. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to marry this girl. I didn't say it out loud a whole lot because that would have been weird and probably would have, like, she would have ran. Um, but I wanted to. But, man, waiting then for dating for four years, getting engaged another year, five years, like, it was difficult. I remember getting to a time where I was like 14, 15, and I wanted to learn to, I wanted to start driving a car. Everybody, when they're like 14, 15, they start getting that itch. My little Cameron's getting it now, and I'm like, kid, you're too short, don't, know. Um, and I was the same way, like, God, can you make me taller at 14 so I can actually get that steering wheel and, and the pedals and all that stuff? But I, st- I stopped waiting. What happened is we lived out in the wilderness, out in the north woods, and there were side roads everywhere. And so I don't even know if my dad knew this, but I started taking the car out on the side roads. Again, not sure how I hit the pedals, but I was doing it. I was out there driving. And one day, I was driving on this back road, and there was a road that I wanted to turn down, and I passed it by accident, and I was going to keep going. If I kept going this way, I was, there was a chance I was maybe going to see some cars. And I'm like, I don't, people in the neighborhood know that I'm like, you know, seven years old right now, okay? So, so I back up the car. I put it in reverse. And I, I didn't know how to drive. I didn't look behind me. So I just went in reverse, and all of a sudden, like four seconds later, a car swerves around the left side of me, and my heart stopped. I don't think I drove again until I got my temps, because I was so scared. I couldn't wait. Waiting is like the toughest thing for us. And every single one of us, we know what it's like to wait. We don't want to have to wait. You, you feel like you're in this spot where, man, God, nothing is the way that I want it to be, and why do I have to wait so long? See, the plan for the Israelites, it was for 70 years from the time of this prophecy. 
that they were going to get what they thought they, they needed. They're going to have to wait. And God wanted the waiting to be used for good, not simply to be endured. How many times when you're waiting for God to do the thing in your life that you want him to do, do you feel like you're just enduring it? You're enduring every day, but the truth is God is calling us to increase, not decrease. If we are not growing, if we are not looking to increase the way that God wants us to, if you're not increasing, human nature is you are decreasing. You're going back. And God is saying, in the waiting, in the time where you think it's not that great, please just increase a little bit. Good things come every single day. Good things come your way every single day. The question is, are you looking for it? God's mercies are new every morning. The Bible tells us that. I believe it's true. Today, if nothing else, today was a day that you woke up, you got out of bed, and you were forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. Like, there is good to see today. Now, the broader context of Jeremiah 29, I think, seems to be telling us this. The time of waiting and struggle can still be a time of beauty and joy. Whatever your struggle is right now that you're going through, man, what, how awesome it would be if we, could, if we could be the followers of Jesus, that people would watch our lives and see us go through struggle, but see us also do it in, in joy, to find beauty in those moments. That speaks something. Serving Jesus faithfully, it is part of the reward. Let's be real, every day is a grind for us. For me, as a husband, uh, every day is a grind to try to do things that are outside of my nature to try to make life better for my wife. Same thing for my wife. She probably has an even tougher time because I'm a hard person to please and I'm not as awesome as her. And so she's got to do things that are outside of her nature probably to try to make me happy. Every day is a grind for us. But there is absolute beauty in the struggle. There is beauty in the struggle of me trying to do what I can to make life for my wife better. This is, whatever, you're, whatever situation you're sitting in, this is a time and a place that God has called for you. This is a time and a place that God has brought you to. So instead of wishing that you could have something better, don't you feel like God is actually saying, instead of wishing for something better, can you just make the best today of what I've given you? Can you just change how you're, how you're viewing this right now? The truth is, you and only you have the opportunity to shine the light of Jesus to the people around you the way that you can. You and only you. What are you doing with the time that you've actually been given? What am I doing with the time that I've been given? I know I sure as heck don't want to be in a spot where later on down the road, I realize that, you know what, I was looking for something better down the road, and because of it, I missed opportunity after opportunity that God gave me while things weren't exactly how I wanted them. You see, Jesus has bigger plans for your life than you could ever have for you. I don't care how big your plans are. Man, my, my plans when I was a little kid was to make it to the NBA. I didn't know I was going to be 5'4". My plans were to be the N, an NBA ball player. You know what? The plans that God had for me was still bigger than that. If even one person has come to know Jesus because of what I've been able to do not going to the NBA a bigger plan. See, that's the problem. We don't realize that God's plan is a lot different than ours. Our plans are usually for happiness and security. His plans are always eternal. The ultimate plan that God has for us, it's always ultimately eternal. His idea is how can I get people to know who Jesus is? So while this uh, exact promise that we're seeing in Jeremiah 29 11, it's not, it's not for us. 
This promise was given to people who are not us. But while this exact promise isn't ours, the principle of the promise of Jeremiah 29.11 is for us. And here's what I want you to understand. Jesus is the keeper of the promise of Jeremiah 29.11. You might, you might look at it and be like, I don't see Jesus in Jeremiah 29.11, but he's there. Here's what I want you to see. Not every single person in Israel that was now living in Babylon, not every person was actually going to see this promise of Jeremiah 29.11 acted out. They weren't going to see it in the physical. Do you realize that it, the, the lifespan of somebody at this point in history, do you know how long it was considered to be? 70 years. So what's that tell you when it's going to take 70 years for the people to tra- be transferred back from Babylon to Jerusalem? Most of them going to be dead. This was not a physical promise for these people. It was a spiritual and it was an eternal promise. That is the same promise that you and I have from Jesus. We don't have the physical promise that everything's going to be exactly how we want it, but we have a spiritual, eternal promise that rests in Jesus and what he did on the cross. The hope for these exiles was a future hope. So what does it mean? It means that we have something in Jesus, a future in Jesus, that is absolutely secure. While that future is secure, though, we are going to have road bumps. Every single one of us are going to have bumps along the way. But while those road bumps are there, God is calling us to increase. God is calling us not to just endure the place that we are placed in, but to increase, to bring glory to, to the name of Jesus. I think one of the best parts of this passage was that part where these Israelites are instructed to build homes and to marry, and to, to, to have babies, and to do all this while they're in exile, to bless and to pray for their captors. Every day, there was something for them to build upon. In your, in your life today, what are you looking at as, this is the thing that God has called me to build upon? Are you looking too much at all the things that, that are not how you want them to be, and, and so you're not seeing how God wants you to build? In our context, Figuring out what Jeremiah 29, 11, it, what it means, it, it's hard. And I'll be honest with you, I'm going to show something on the screen here, and it, it's going to be longer than something I usually put on the screen. Um, but breaking it down into two really small sentences, I, these are like compound sentences, they're long, all that stuff. But this is how I think we can break down Jeremiah 29, 11. The promise of Jesus is that even in our moments of exile, the times where we feel separated from the people and the places that we feel are meant for us, There is still a hope and there is still a promise that even today we can experience an increase. By choosing to live as a blessing to those around you, you will experience hope in small and beautiful ways every day that will point you to the future hope of eternity with Jesus, something already secured for us through his sacrifice on the cross. In shorter words, it's saying you have something given to you in Jesus that's so big. You can choose to see the beauty of what Jesus has done for you and carry that out in small ways every day to the people around you or you can choose to decrease and get frustrated with your life situation. In Jesus, there is hope. There is hope for tomorrow, but I also say this, there is hope for today. There is hope that you can wake up today, you can wake up tomorrow and realize you've been given so much. When you look at your life on the difficult days, are you choosing to see the beauty of the hope that is life in Jesus? Are you choosing to pass on that hope to other people? Uh, 
I just, I think we've been given so much to put our hope in. We've been given such a great hope to hope in that it's unthinkable for us not to give that hope other, to other people. Even in the darkest hours, the darkest moments of our lives, everything that Jesus has done, it can flow through us to other people. But it's a matter of whether or not we're going to see it. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to, to pray and ask God to help us be sharers of the hope that he gives us. If there's anything that I want you to do walking out of this place today is to have a little bit more hope than, than when you came in. That yeah, not, not everything has to be the way that you want it, but Jesus is still so good and Jesus still has promised us so much. Let's be sharers of that hope this week. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.